We wanted you to be a part of that and see it because you are a part of it across all campuses, uh, whether that is the Smyrna campus, that's the Stewart's Creek campus, that's the Riverdale campus, College Grove, uh, Bangkok, Brussels, since uh, 2019, Easter of 2019, uh, over 540 something folks. I think today in the second service, in fact, I know in the day in the second service, we're going to be baptizing two more. And I believe it's going to put us over 550 folks who have prayed to receive Christ, who are now being baptized as followers of Jesus. And that is an incredible thing for us to be able to celebrate. We, we often talk about how uh, we are a part of something that's much larger than just one place. That's all of the all of the churches together. And so together, we're seeing God do an incredible thing uh, throughout Middle Tennessee and across the world. So thank you for what you're doing. Continue to be faithful to share your faith, your, your testimony of Jesus. I hope you heard today all of the songs that were sung today and what we're going to talk about today from the scripture. Uh, we're about Jesus here. Jesus is the reason that we do what we do. Jesus is the reason that we even have the ability to have breath in our lungs. And so today, uh, we proclaim him as Lord and Savior. So today, as you got your Bibles, let's continue on in our series about Jesus over everything. And uh, I was reading this week about uh, a study that came out in it's about four years ago, I think 2018, 2019, uh, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, you may know it as MIT, uh, they did a, a research project, a, a study, a funded project over the travel of information, the travel of news. And as only a research institution could do, they actually distinguished between false news and fake news. And one of the, I don't know, I really don't remember what all the difference was, but here's one of the things that they discovered, that they saw, is that false news, false news travels throughout the internet and throughout our life, our communication, 70 times faster than true news. It takes 60% longer for a piece of true news True news, real, truthful news, it takes six times longer for it to reach 1,500 people than it does something false. There's something about a falsehood. There's something about how the, the enemy, who is the father of lies, who is the angel of light, takes a little bit of truth, and he mixes it with a whole lot of falsehood, and then it just sets the world ablaze. In a, isn't that kind of an amazing thing? I mean, here's what you begin to see, even in the passages of the Scripture that we've been walking through. Do you remember in the book of Colossians, this, this book that we're walking through right now, Paul is sitting in a prison because he was speaking the gospel. He was speaking the truth of who Jesus was, is, and it landed him in jail. And as a result... Uh, his, one of his disciples, one of his followers, one of the ones that came to know Christ under him, Epaphras, who started the church at Colossae, who was instrumental in starting the church, probably at Laodicea, most people believe, came to Paul sitting in prison and said, hey, there is false teaching that is beginning to run rampant in our area. It is beginning to run rampant throughout uh, the body at Colossae. It's beginning to kind of move through uh, the body at Laodicea. And I need to know what is it that we need to, how do we combat 
this teaching? What is it that we do? How is it that we're going to step into this? And do you remember what Paul did? I'm not, I want you to go back. I'm gonna not go back through all of it, but quickly, what Paul did is he sent a letter back through Epaphras to the church at Colossae to say this. I, we, we pray for you, me and Timothy, all the people, we pray for you and we think of you. Now that Epaphras has come and told us what's going on, we are praying specifically specifically for you, that you would grow in your wisdom, your understanding, your knowledge, that you would know how to combat these false teachers. And then he moves in like we talked about last week and says, listen, the reason that I'm sitting here in prison right now is because of the preeminent one, the one who is above all, the one who reigns over everything, Jesus, speaking his gospel, put me here. That's who the true gospel is. It is about Jesus Christ, the living one, the living one. These false teachers, these Judaizers, these, uh, these uh, Hellenists, these Greeks who are coming in and saying that you, you must be a polytheist. You can worship Jesus, but you can't worship him alone. He comes in now and he begins to explain to them who he is because what ends up happening a lot of times with falsehoods when they can't be overtaken or excuse me, when they begin to be shown that these are falsehoods, maybe you've seen this in real life. You know, if you can't prove a falsehood, you know what you begin to do, don't you? You begin to attack people. And so what ended up beginning to happen is people begin to attack Paul and they begin to question his apostleship that, well, wait a minute, we've never met you. We've never seen you. We know who Epaphras is, but we've never seen you. So why do we believe you? And Paul now begins to unpack in this passage a few things about himself, but truly about us as followers of Christ, as ministers of the gospel. He's going to be talking about, uh, in some aspects here, who he was as an apostle and who he was as a minister, a vocational minister, a, a, a minister of the gospel, but he's speaking to the church there. And he says, hey, listen, these are the things that would validate who I am and point you towards what it looks like to be a true follower of his. Evaluate these things against those that are speaking falsehoods. Three things that I want you to begin to see today. We're, we're, the, the title of this message is for the gospel and for the church. That's what landed Paul in prison, is that he is speaking the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, him alone. Jesus crucified, Jesus buried, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended on high. There's no name under heaven by which we might be saved. He was in jail for that. He was also in jail because of the church for the gospel and for the church. Why? Because these little pockets of people that Jesus was saving, the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, they begin to make little communities that look countercultural. They begin to say, listen, Jesus and only Jesus. And that ended up getting Paul put in prison for that. So three things that I want you to see today from this passage that we just read, uh, and they all begin with S. Number one is Paul is going to point to the suffering for the gospel and for the church. He's going to point to suffering. Then he's going to turn and he's going to begin to help us to see about his stewardship and the stewardship of the gospel and for the church. And then he's going to close us out with the strength for the gospel and for the church. 
So let's begin talking about his suffering, the suffering for the gospel and for the church. Verse 24, Paul starts out by saying this. Now I, remember he's writing, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of the body. That is the church. Paul opens up by making a pretty jarring statement, I think, here. He opens up by saying, I'm rejoicing. Notice what he says. I'm rejoicing in my suffering for your sake. Now, guys, listen, this, this right here is one of the most favorite passages of all prosperity preachers. You can open up any Joel Osteen book and you see something in there right now, Joyce Meyer, Creflo Dollar. You, you see any, any other prosperity preacher, they love to camp out on this verse, don't they? No, no, no prosperity preacher ever wants to talk about suffering because it goes against everything that they believe. Prosperity preachers want to talk about, hey, if you will send me a, a seed, a seed offering, you're going to have health and wealth. You're going to have prosperity. Your life will be fine. See, this verse that Paul speaks goes against everything of the false teaching of the prosperity gospel alive today. Listen, what this statement tells us is that our faith doesn't protect us from suffering. Our faith should lead us towards suffering. Now, I'm not talking about in a masochist way. I'm talking about how our lives, when we line up and we begin to live the gospel, as we be begin to allow this word, the word of Christ, to begin to, to dwell richly in us, and we begin to walk it out into the places that he sets us, it's going to stand in opposition to whatever, everything we see in the world today. And as we live that out, that's going to bring tension into the world. It's not that we, listen, Jesus said, I, I've come, I, I'm going to drive a wedge between families. Why? Because what I say as followers of me, when you follow me, it goes against the grain and that's going to bring some wedges. It may bring wedges in your family. It may bring wedges in your work. He says, if they've hated me, they're going to hate you. These are the words that Jesus is speaking. And listen, Paul, because of these words, Paul was beaten, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was left dead. Listen, this is what it began to cost Paul. He suffered greatly because of the gospel that he preached. He suffered greatly for the churches that he poured into and the churches that were birthed. And what's amazing about this, what's so jarring about this is that he says, I rejoice in that suffering. He says, I rejoice in it. I rejoice in the suffering that I'm having right now for your sake, for the sake of you, the church. He says, his suffering is for the gospel and his suffering is for the church. And we can't just run by that. We have to stop and think and evaluate in our own lives, or I have to, let me say that. I don't know about you, but when, when, when you hear the word, we have to let that word dwell richly in us and go, okay, Father, what do you have for me? So this week, this is what I've been sitting in going, okay, Father, what, do, do I suffer because of the word of God? Because of my walk, because of what he's called me to, does that lead to suffering now, we live in, listen, I love our country. I'm thankful that we don't have, we're not living in a country today where we're going to be beaten and stoned and thrown in prison because we follow Jesus Christ. But 
Listen, in our world today, does the stand that you make for Jesus, does it stand against what every, uh, the, the world philosophies? Does it stand in the, in the, in, in the face of what's being uh, popularly preached in the world? Do, would anyone know what you believe today? Would they have any idea about this? You see, Paul says, listen, this right here, this gospel that I preach, the gospel of Jesus, it's cost me. And he says, it's going to cost you too, church. Look at 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, if you've got a Bible, you can turn over there or you can write it down. You'll see it on just a little bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 10 through 12 says this, Paul's writing He says, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. He says, I'm always carrying in my body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in your mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. You see, Paul didn't, Paul, Paul's not rejoicing that he, that he, or running to look for suffering, but yet at the same point, he stood strong in the face of the suffering because he knew that the suffering had a purpose. He knew that it had a greater value. He knew that by proclaiming the gospel, he knew that by standing strong for the gospel, there were people who would see. There were people that would come to know him. There were people that it would, it would benefit the church. This is what Paul is proclaiming to us here. Not that he enjoyed what happened, the beatings, but he rejoiced because of what came of those beatings, what came of those shipwrecks, what came of all of that. It, it produced a stronger church. Folks, we know, we know throughout history, we know throughout the, 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 the redemptive history that when one believer, one martyr falls for Christ, there are those who rush in to take his spot. And say, listen, because listen, you know what appeals to a world today? People who are willing to die for what they believe in. People who are willing to stand for what they believe in. And the question that comes to us today, the question that comes to me today is, what has the gospel cost me? what, What has the gospel actually cost me? I mean, has it cost me my money? Has it cost me some, some of my riches? Has it cost me some of my time? Has it cost me that where, okay, maybe I need to give up some of these things, maybe associations, so that I can have relationship with people who trust Jesus, who walk with him. Maybe I have to forego this so I can serve the body. Maybe I have to forego purchasing these things so that I can fund the body, so I can fund the gospel going around the world. Listen, suffering, nobody likes to suffer. If you like to suffer, uh, we probably need to get you checked out, just to be real honest with you, okay? Uh, Nobody likes to suffer, but we're willing to do it when we recognize that on the other side of it, there's a greater gain. This has come into, I mean, ladies who have babies, I mean, literally, this has become very real to me even recently, with the birth of a grandchild, all of the suffering, 
all of the pain that moms you walked through in childbirth, and yet then you realize when it's over, it's like, okay, yeah, this is why you go back for a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth. <laughs> it's tough, in it, but you realize on the other side of it. Folks, this is what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying, listen, uh, the reason I'm sitting in jail, the reason that I'm suffering is for the gospel's sake. The reason that I'm doing this, the reason that you can trust my message is because it's cost me. It's cost me. And he says, it's not just for me. This is for the gospel and for the church. For your good, I'm sitting where it is that I'm sitting. Folks, today I wanna ask you, have you evaluated? Even in these few moments that we've been in here, have you evaluated what, what, what's the gospel costing me? Does it, is it costing me to, to, to stand for him in any way? And, and again, I wanna make sure you hear me. I'm not asking you to go out and like, Look for ways, but I am asking you to do this. I'm asking you to stand strong even though suffering will come. In the place where you are, in your workplace, in your school, in your neighborhood, in the associations that you have, are you willing to stand in those regardless of what come, regardless of what may, because the gospel is worth it. The gospel is worth it. The good news of Jesus, if he suffered, if he died, can we not yet stand for him in this life that we live today? This is what it is that he's calling us to. Look at verse 24. I want to go back to verse 24 again, because there, there's something here that we have to kind of wrestle with for just a moment, all right? He says in verse 24, Paul says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. He says he's filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now, we got to stop here for just a moment, because this this can't mean that the, the death of Jesus lacked something, can it? I mean, it, it can't mean that because Jesus himself said on the cross, his last words, his last words, it is finished. The payment is complete. It's done. It's over. So it can't mean that. So what, what is it that is actually meaning? This is where I want to caution you as Bible students. You guys, I mean, one of the things people ask me all the time and I have meetings about is, how do you study the Bible? Where do I start? What do I do? What does this passage mean here? Help me to understand this passage. Classic thing, you never take an obscure passage and create a doctrine out of it. You always take an obscure passage, a hard to read passage, and you set it in the context of all the other verses. When you start pulling out one verse to create a doctrine, we start running down a, a road that's gonna lead to destruction. So you have to take a passage and go, okay, this can't mean that Christ was lacking in my atonement. His sacrifice was not enough because this, the totality of scripture says that it it is enough. Jesus is all. His sacrifice paid for all of my sins. So what does that, what is it, what's going on here? Well, as you begin to look, if you were to go back over into the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter two, three, four, five, and even couple that with Revelation. Do you remember in Revelation, I believe it's in Revelation six, uh, it, it, it's the fifth seal, I believe it was, where that fifth seal is open and you see the martyrs under the altar, and the scripture, the martyrs cry, are crying out, how much longer, how much longer? And he says, just a little longer until, until those who have been uh, appointed unto death, until that, their time is done. 
What Paul is saying here, I believe, is this, is that he is the firstborn of sufferers. He is the next one in line. His, listen, hear this, Jesus' suffering on the cross paid for my sins and your sins fully if you've surrendered your life to him. There is no more work. His suffering was enough. But the scripture tells us that there are going to be those who give their life for the sake of the gospel. And what he is saying here is that Jesus' suffering, it paid for my sin, it paid for your sin if you surrendered your life for, uh, to Jesus Christ. But he, he is the first in the line of sufferers to still come. Uh, listen, there are still, the, re the reason Christ hasn't come yet, the reason that he's not returned is that there's not a full measure of those who have given their life for Christ. How is that gonna happen? I, I, I don't know. I know the scripture teaches that. I know that Revelation speaks of that. I know that Daniel speaks of that. I know that today there are more people who are giving their life for the cause of Christ than in the past 2,500 years. You see, there are people who are suffering today for the cause of Christ. And this is what this passage is speaking to us about today. He says, if they hated me, you can know they're going to hate you. Oftentimes we think that ministry is cookies and Kool-Aid, it's VBS, it's, it, it's continual baptisms. Folks, I'm telling you, it's not. It's not. There are long, dry days. There are hard days. There are things that are tough about ministry. You know that, don't you? You know, if you're serving Christ as a follower of his, you know, these are tough days, but yet he's called us. He has, he's paid for everything that we need for us to be righteous in him. Yet he does call us to suffer for his name. If it cost him, it's going to cost us. If they hated him, they're going to hate us. And Paul says this, because of what Christ has done, he's willing to stand in the midst of that. Why? Because he has a greater vision. He has a greater understanding of what that suffering is for. It's for the gospel and it's for the good of the church. There is no sacrifice. I need you to hear this. There's no sacrifice that you will ever make that is too much for the gospel. There's no sacrifice that you'll ever make. If it's releasing your child to go, if it's the money that you give, if it's the time that you spend. Because, listen, when we're giving back to the Father and we begin to see the blessing that begins to happen, and I don't mean like the financial blessing back to us. I mean, we're seeing lives changed. We're seeing people's hearts changed. We're seeing homes surrendered. When we begin to see that, we begin to go, oh, that was no sacrifice. What you thought was a sacrifice on the backside of it, you're going, yeah, I want to continue to feed that. I want to funnel that money. I want to funnel my time. I want to funnel my energies into something that's greater than just me. And Paul says, listen, this is why I do what I do for the gospel's sake, for the church's sake. This is why I suffer. Folks, this is what we're called to. The second thing that he says is he talks about his stewardship, his stewardship for the gospel and for the church. Look at verses 25 through 28. He says this, of which I became a minister. Now he says minister twice in about three verses. If you went back to last week, you see that he talks about being a minister again. 
a servant. He says, I've become a, a servant, a minister, according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says in this passage, he says that uh, he does all of this and it's according to the stewardship that God had given him. Now in scripture, a steward is a manager. He is one who owns nothing. He manages and he receives what the owner or the master has given to him. And this is what Paul is speaking about here. He says, listen, uh, I'm only doing what I've been called to do. We know this guy is Paul, the Apostle Paul. Prior to this, if you went back to the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter, I think, uh, seven, eight, right in that area, his name was Saul. And Saul was standing as the very first martyr was martyred. His name was Stephen. He was holding the cloaks. They laid them at his feet, and he was giving approval. Right after that, he begins to go to Damascus, and he's looking for Christians, followers of the way, and he's rounding them up, and he is punishing them. He is persecuting them. He's going to imprison them. And the Scripture says this in Acts. It says that while he was on the road to Damascus, he saw a blind light and he heard a voice. He heard a voice. Those around him heard. They didn't know what it was, but that voice said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you persecuting me? And this is Jesus calling him. You see, what is being said here is to attack the church is to attack Jesus. To attack the church is to attack Jesus. Paul was saved. He was commissioned to live sent. He was saved. He was commissioned to go to the Gentiles, those who were not Jewish. Paul always, when he went into a new town, he would head into the synagogue first. He would stand and preach. He would end up getting kicked out, and he would go and start a little Gentile community. Now, there were Jewish people who would come, and they would be a part. And these were the folks who they had to, listen, everyone was relearning what it meant to be spiritual, what it meant to be holy, what it meant to have a right relationship with God. This is what Paul has said he was called to do. He was called to have a stewardship, to manage what it was that God had given him to the Gentiles, and it was the Gentiles who had put him in jail. As we learned last week, all things were created by Jesus, for Jesus. He is in everything and over everything. He is the creator of everything. He, everything that we have belongs to him. Everything in this world belongs to him. It was said a few minutes ago, it, 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 you realize your house is his, you realize your car is his, your job is his, your money is his, your kids are his? Uh, the, fact, the fact that you're even here is owed to him. Everything is about Jesus. And yet, here's what Paul says. Paul says, all that I'm doing, all that I'm doing is I'm stewarding what it is that God has given me. So what is it that God had given him? What exactly is this? Well, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Paul says this, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Notice that, stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of a steward that they be found faithful. Paul's stewardship is of the mysteries of God. He was called to preach about who Christ is. And the mystery that he's talking about here is that the, the, that the Savior of the world didn't come just for Jews. He came for Gentiles. He came for everyone. Today, in this very room right here, in this room right here, I need you to hear this. Uh, Jesus has brought you here to speak to you. He didn't bring you here so that you're just with a family member. He didn't bring you here so that you could hear good music. He didn't bring you here because you're, you're on vacation and you thought you'd just slide in. The reason God brought you here is so that you would have an encounter with his son, Jesus. He wants you to know Jesus. And I want to say this to you even of myself. You know what my main foundational task is at this body? To preach the word of God. My secondary task is to love you, to train you, to walk in your life, to minister with you. But my main task is to preach the mysteries of God, to open up the word of God. And what I, I don't want to use the word covet, what I need (laughs) is you to pray for me. I need you to undergird me with prayers so that I might rightly proclaim his word to you. Why? So that we might be mature in Christ, so that we might grow up as followers of his, so that we would look more like Christ each week, so that the word of God would dwell richly in us, and then it would bear the fruit that it was sent forth to bear. Look at verse 28. Verse 28 says this. Paul says, him we proclaim. We proclaim Christ. Folks, uh, I said last week, and I want to continue to come back, this church is going to be about Jesus. It's who we are. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to trust in Jesus. If you've surrendered your life to him, I don't want it just to be you're trusting him for your eternity. I want you to trust him for your next hour. Uh, Where you're not certain how you're going to make it, I want you to trust him that He will provide everything that you need. Notice how what else he says in this passage here, which moves us to the last thing. Paul was, was, uh, was stewarding the gospel that had been given to him. He was preaching that gospel. And how did he do it? He did it in the strength of Jesus the strength of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he says in verse 29. He says, for, for this, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul's mission, Paul's mission was to present everyone mature in Christ. But notice what he says that this is like. He says it's a toil. He says, I am toiling. You know, the word toiling in the Greek language here means weary. He says, I, I am weary. I am toiling. He's, he goes on to say, he says, I toil and I struggle. The word struggle here uh, in the Greek language is 
agonizomai. Agonizomai. What English word do we get? Did you hear? Agonize. He says, I am weary. I am agonizing. I am in agony. I am fighting. The picture is of someone who is wrestling. Do you remember another passage where Paul says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with spirits, with power, with dominions, with rulers and authorities? We just read this last week even. He says, this is what I'm doing. He says, God has called us. He's called me to suffer. He's called me to steward the gospel for your sake. He's called me to toil. Folks, do you realize this is what our mission is together? This isn't just what my mission is. All of us are, are, are ministers. You realize that when you're called to be followers of Jesus, you're called to ministry. Now, my role is vocational ministry. Uh, this is the work that I do. But we're, we're all ministers we're all called to suffer. We're all called to toil. We're all called to agonize with people, to, to share the gospel, to steward the testimony that he's given us, the, the testimony of grace in our lives, how he's worked, how he's healed, how he's intervened, how he's saved our marriage, how he saved my family. We walk in that. And there are days when you are thinking, I don't know how this is gonna work. I don't know how he's gonna save my family. I don't know how he's gonna meet this financial need. I don't know how he's gonna manage and save me in the midst of the medical situation I'm in. And you are toiling over his word. You're fighting, the, you're fighting to keep your mind focused on him. You're fighting to get up in the morning so that you can get to his word. This is what it is that Paul says. This is what I'm doing on behalf of the gospel and on behalf of the church. This is what I'm doing. Folks, let me ask you something. How, how much toil are you doing on behalf of the body? And I, I, I want to be careful. We need all kinds of workers, all kinds of places. But I'm going to ask you this. How much toiling are you doing in prayer for your brother and your sister? How much work are you meeting the needs of the brothers and the sisters? You're praying on their behalf. You're walking in their lives. You're leveraging your finances for them. You're leveraging your testimony of the gospel into their lives and saying, listen, I know you're struggling, brother. I know that you're struggling, sister, but I've seen him work. I've seen him move. I'm praying on your behalf. I'm going before the Father. Here's a word that the Lord gave me in the scripture today. For you, I believe. Folks, this is what Paul is doing. This is what it looks like. There are all kinds of great things we can work hard at. Making money, retirement, creating. We can work hard at the extracurricular stuff that we're involved in, but there is no, all of it. I need you to hear me. All of it will one day burn. The only thing that lasts is what we do for the sake of the gospel. What we do for the sake of the gospel I think about sometimes all of the things that I spend so much energy on. And I, I'll be honest with you, I love, I mean, I love doing many of the things that I spend so much energy on. And then I have to back up and go, whoa, 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 whoa. 
I've put off these things with the body or these person or this, the gospel's sake. So for this, hold on, wait a minute. This has become a bigger issue to me than this gospel issue. Folks, I don't know if you've been there. This is what the Lord has called us to. How does he do this when he's, when he's weary, when he's in agony? It says he does it by the strength, by the strength of him, of Jesus. Do you remember last week in the, uh, uh, I think it was last week in the passage, we talked about the power of God. And that word there in Greek means it is dunamis. It means dynamite. It's where we get dynamite. It's the explosive power. It's the energy It's not the kaboom, it's the energy behind the kaboom. That energy is how Paul says he makes it. This is how I steward. This is how I struggle. This is the struggle. This is the strength that gets me through the struggle. This is the energy. This is the power that gets me through the suffering because I know the power of God resides in me. Folks, I want to give you just a personal testimony. You know, there are days... Uh, as I walk with you, as I walk with this church, that I go, I, I, don't know what, I don't know what to do here. There are days when I think, I, I don't know if I have the energy to go. Just being real with you, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like that in your walk. And I have to step back and go, Father, I'm trying to think about this in my own power, in my own own strength. And Lord, I need you to do the work that you've called me to. You've called me to do this, but I'm trying to do this on my own. I need you to do this. Folks, today, if you're feeling agony and weary and you're struggling, maybe it's time to step back and say, God, have I been doing this on my own strength? Is this in my own power? I need you to strengthen me for the day that I'm sitting in today. I need your power and your strength. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 10 says this, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. You see, when I try to do it in my own strength, I become very, very weak quickly. But when I am weak and I lean into his strength, then I have the power to move forward. 1 John 4, 4 says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Folks, this is what Jesus has called us to. This is the gospel that he's called you to. This is what he has said as a minister of his, as a follower of his. He says, listen, these days are gonna be difficult, but I've called you to this and I've called you to manage, to steward what it is that I've given you, not in your own power, not in your own strength, but in the power of the one who raised Jesus from the dead, in his power and in his energy. Today, let me ask you this. What's it cost you? Are you, are you sacrificing? Is it called you to sacrifice? Has it called you to suffer? You say, yeah, what you, well, my fellowship." 
If it's costing us nothing to follow, I have to imagine and wonder and ask myself, am I truly following him? He's given you stuff to manage for his kingdom's sake, for him, because it's his and he's entrusted it to us. Father, am I, am I, am I stewarding what you've given me? Am I stewarding my witness the way that you would desire it to be stewarded? Am I stewarding my finances, my home, my family? Am, am, I, am I handling it the way you would desire? And am I doing, whose strength are you doing this in? You see, today, this is where Paul has landed for us. He says, listen, these are the things that validate the message I've been sending forth. The people who are coming in, who are spreading falsehood, the people who are trying to water down the gospel, it doesn't cost them anything. They're not suffering. They have nothing to steward. Paul says, this is the true gospel. And it costs. But I've given it to you. I've given it to you to share not in your power, but in his. Father, I love you and I honor you. I magnify you today. And I'd ask God that you would take the words that have been preached today. Father, I pray that they weren't just my words, they're your words. I'm asking God that you would use them in a way that your Holy Spirit would desire them to be used, Father. I'm asking, Father, that you speak to people today. Holy Spirit, I, I know that in this room, you have been working in the lives and hearts of people. So God, would you do a work today and turn dead hearts into live beings? Father God, I love you. I thank you for the privilege that we have of being in community together here as a body called Riverdale. God, I pray that we would steward well with what you've given us. I pray, Father, we wouldn't do that in our own power, but it'd be in your power. Jesus, we honor you today. And it's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Today, our response time is this. is For some of you, it may be to come and pray. Maybe you want someone to pray with. I'd love to pray with you about whatever it is that you're walking in your life. I'll be down here close to this front. You can come down. Maybe you want to talk to me at the end or come back to the back. I'd love to be able to, to meet you and pray with you. Maybe it's just turning to someone there in your seat and saying, hey, would you pray with me about this? I, I need a brother or a sister who will walk with me, who will care with me, who will carry this load with me. Whatever it is that the Lord's calling you to, would you, would you be faithful to respond to him today. Don't leave without responding to what the Spirit has called you to. Let's stand right now. And I'm going to ask our team. Oh, they're here. Y'all come and y'all lead us, please.